Good morning. Please stand with me as you read responsively the call to worship, which is found in your bulletins. We lift our eyes to the mountains. Where does our help come from? He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Let's pray. Oh God, how good it is to be here gathered with you and to worship you and and to worship you together with all these people who seek you and adore you and want to praise your holy name. And Lord, we are reminded as we read these words of your faithfulness and your goodness and your desire, Lord, to help and protect and provide for our lives. And so God, as we gather here, may we lift you up with holy hands, and proclaim how great and mighty you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Amen. That is why we are here, to sing praise to the Lord our God for all that he has done for us and for who he is. We're so glad you're a part of this worship time today. and want to invite you to uh, share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today. It's great to see you on this uh, cold, crisp Sunday morning, uh, warmer than it has been, which, for which we give thanks. At the, we're glad to, to have you a part of this gathering today. I uh, just wanted to uh, make you aware that tonight our small groups are beginning most of the groups, and some groups are meeting uh, during other days of the week than Sunday, but there's an insert in your bulletin uh, listing the groups. We encourage you to uh, take a moment and uh, look those over and be a part of a group if you're not already. For college students, there are the Logos Bible study groups that meet in community members' homes. Love to have you be a part of one of those as well, and you can see those listed on the insert in your bulletin. Uh, Wednesday evening, all of our ministries are on regular schedule, and next Sunday we gather for worship again at 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11. I had some conversations this week with some folks uh, after Sunday's sermon as we were kind of talking through that and bantering some questions back and forth, and it as we talked about it, we were both looking for an opportunity where we might do that on a wider scale. And so uh, we're going to make an attempt. I know this won't, uh, won't work for everyone because not everyone is on the, the Internet or has the ability to access uh, the website. But we're going to begin tomorrow, uh, sometime tomorrow, uh, some kind of a thread. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't know how to do that. But I'm sure someone does know how to do that and will get us going. Uh, just a discussion about last Sunday's sermon, this Sunday's sermon. And it seems especially appropriate to do that as we're talking about uh, what it means to be the church, what we're, what we're talking about in terms of our vision as a church. And so I encourage you, if you have Internet access, to take a look at that. And uh, if you want to send some questions to me to get things started, I would love to get those from you or some comments as, uh, as a way of starting that discussion Because I am convinced that the more we talk about it, the more we think about these things and engage in them, the more real they become for us and the more God is able to use these things in our lives to transform us individually and corporately as well. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin as there are every week things related to the world as well as us locally. We certainly want to pray for the Ortliff family at the death of Elizabeth earlier this week and her funeral is this afternoon at 2 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And we pray for this family and others who are going through difficult experiences both here and other places of the world.
The Old Testament reading comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 142. And if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's uh, found on page 620. Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before Him. Before Him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand with me as we sing together the doxology. good it is to be able to to worship you and lord as we take this moment to give back to you as you have blessed us with these these jobs and these provisions for our lives god as we give these back to you we ask that you would bless these givings or these tithes and these offerings grant wisdom to this church as we use these to bring glory and honor to you amen was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to upon my helpless state and led me to the cross and I beheld God's love displayed you suffered in my place you bore the wrath reserved for me now all I know is grace Song forever be my own. 
God has done for us in Christ, His call upon us, we have the privilege of coming to Him in prayer. And uh, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you pray, please come and join me. Father, we come today and acknowledge that despite all we've accomplished, despite all that we do that is good, despite everything that is positive in our lives, all we really have is Christ. And we make that declaration in a spirit of humility and in celebration. Because Christ has come and Christ is present and Christ is at work in us. And all we need is Christ. We come today to celebrate your work of Christ in our world and in our lives and to give you thanks to praise you worship you Father we also come acknowledging our deep need we recognize that on our best days we fall so far short We wrestle with pain and anguish and we wrestle with animosity and bitterness. We wrestle with all kinds of temptations that come at us. This morning we come and lay them before you and ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your healing. We ask for your transforming power to be at work in us once again. Father, we come today with all kinds of burdens in our hearts. And in this moment of silence, as we think about those burdens, things in our lives, things in other people's lives, in the world, in this moment of silence, we offer all of it to you. And we pray knowing that you hear us. Father, we pray for your comfort to all who grieve. We pray for your healing for all who are struggling, issues of body, mind, spirit. We pray for your restoration in our relationships. We pray for your anointing upon our families our places of work, the various connections that we have and ask for your grace. We pray for our world that is filled with pain and heartache, with famine and disease, with war and violence and ask that you would you would bring your peace and, and the power of your kingdom on our world and that your people would make a difference in this world.
Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. And we ask that as we pray, we will live every day the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and that we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Please stand with me as we read together, or as I read for you, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Also found on your pew Bibles on page 991. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, we pray that you will indeed come to us. We know that you are present with us. Let our hearts be open that you would come and work transforming power in us. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. The scene didn't make any sense. Guy was lying on the street, bleeding, the victim of a hit-and-run driver. And all he kept saying was, don't take me to the hospital, please. Don't take me to the hospital, please. People gathered around him and said, we need to take you to the hospital. He said, no, don't. He said, why not? Because I work at the hospital. I don't want them to see me like this. They've never seen me in any condition other than clean, pressed clothes. And they they would be appalled at how I look now. People kept insisting, but you've got to go to the hospital. No, I'm I'm so embarrassed because just last week I got done taking a public safety course. And look what happened to me. My instructor is going to be so disappointed. I can't show my face out there again. But you've got to go to the hospital. You're bleeding. You're hurt. No, the worst thing is the admissions clerk. She is a real stickler for details. I don't know any details. I don't know what time I was hit. I don't know what the car, make and model the vehicle. I didn't even get a license plate number. I don't know anything. She's going to be really upset. And besides that, I don't have my insurance card. And you know how they are when you don't have your insurance card. You know, they probably won't even recognize me looking like this. Just, just, I'm okay. Just help me. Just let me get to the gutter. And if I can just get off the road, I'll be fine. And people watched him. I'm not sure if he made it or not. But think that, what a ridiculous story. And as Fred Smith tells that little parable, he, he says, it's a story that we can't imagine happening. And yet it happens every Sunday in most churches. He said, I know that's true because last night I asked a group of Christians if they were run over, hit and run over by some unacceptable sin on a Saturday night, would they go to church the next morning? And to a person they said, no, I don't think so. I I wouldn't want to show my face after that. And we hear that and we think, wait a minute, something is wrong with this picture. And yet, if we are honest... Despite what we say, if we're honest, there is something in our minds that imagines that the church is about people who have it all together. The church is for good people. The church is for nice people. The church is for people who have figured it all out and they just come together once a week to remind each other they've got it all figured out. But when I read the New Testament, I find a completely different picture of the church. And one of those places I find that is in this, this story in Matthew and Mark's gospel. It's also in Matthew and Luke, where Jesus is in the beginning stages of his ministry. And he's beginning to gather his disciples around him. And this day he's walking out of the lake, from the lake and he passes this tax collector sitting at his booth, and he says to him, come follow me. And the guy gets up and he follows him, which in itself is astounding enough. I mean, tax collectors are some of the most despised people in first century Palestine. They are, they are, they are people who work for the Roman government and use their position with the Roman government to take advantage of their own people. And they're continually overcharging taxes of the people and pocketing all the extra. And they are wealthy. They are despised. They don't have much to do with the temple. They don't really care about the temple. And so that puts them in in a bad position with the religious leaders. They are looked down upon. They are in many ways considered the dregs of good society. And not only does Jesus ask him to follow him, but that night Jesus is actually at this guy's house. 
eating a meal. And of course, in that culture, you eat a meal with someone and you're basically saying, I want you to be my friend. I want a relationship with you. I, 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 want, and I want people to know that. And Jesus isn't eating just with his tax collector. He's brought more of his tax collector friends and others that the only way the scripture can describe it is they are sinners. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but you picture in your mind the sins that people commit. And just let your mind go of the sins that people commit. That's these people. All of those things that you think are heinous sins about society, that's these people. And they are not people who are deeply involved in the temple and in the worship of God, at least in the structure of that. And here is Jesus hanging out with them. And the Pharisees say to a few of the disciples that they know, they pull them aside and say, what's the deal with your master? Doesn't he know who he's hanging out with? I thought he was trying to make an impression on us as some kind of spiritual leader. He's hanging out with the wrong people. And Jesus overhears the conversation, as he often does, and he says, look, it's, the, it's not the healthy and need a doctor, it's the sick. I've come for the people who realize, acknowledge they are sick. That's what my kingdom is about. And it's with that in mind that as we were, as we were putting together this vision statement, this purpose statement of what we as a church feel like Christ is calling us to be, we, put, we made one of the bullet points that we acknowledge our personal and corporate brokenness. We acknowledge our personal and corporate brokenness. It's a big part of what it means to be the church. To acknowledge that we are not perfect. To acknowledge that we don't have it all together. That we are struggling. That we are broken. And that's why we need the church. Unfortunately, that idea goes against the grain of how we often think about life and about the church. We are taught from the very beginning, early stages, that you have to protect yourself. That you don't want to be vulnerable. That you don't want to to admit things because that will get you into trouble. That can get you hurt. The problem is the opposite of admitting our brokenness, the opposite of being honest about who we are, is in this story, the Pharisees. And we know as the story goes along that it's the Pharisees who eventually come to the place where they nail Jesus to a cross. So the alternative to admitting, acknowledging our personal and corporate brokenness doesn't end us in a very good place. And yet we continue to wrestle with that. The church is is concerned about our image. In advertising, it's called protecting your brand. You have this image of of what you want people to perceive you to be. And and you will do anything to make sure that isn't misinterpreted, that's misunderstood. And so the only way to do that is to continually sweep things under the rug, act like they aren't happening, push them to the background. We don't want to talk about that. And we believe that that will protect us and our image because... Far too often in our culture, our society, even the church, image is everything. And we want people to to make sure that, that they get the right picture of us. That we're good people, we're nice people, we've got it together people. But the reality is, the most... Maybe the most profound way of connecting ourselves with Jesus is not to try and, and, and protect our brand and our image, but to embrace weakness. To embrace honesty, transparency, who we really are. Paul writes to the church of Philippi. Here's the mind of Jesus. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But taking the nature of a servant, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul prefaces that statement with the words, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. We look like Christ when we embrace weakness. Because in the kingdom, you win by losing. You create the right image when we are transparent and open and honest about who we really are and the struggles we're really going through. But it's hard to do that. We don't like to admit weakness, vulnerability. I was thinking about that in you know, the scenario of you walk into a yard and all of a sudden you see this vicious dog. What is the advice people give you? Don't let the dog know you're scared of it. You know, inside you're going crazy, but outside you're trying to put this, give off this vibe of, I'm not frightened of you. That's how you get out of it. And, but we do that with each other all the time too. We put on these masks and, 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 and we put up, these facade, put up this facade and because we think that will make us strong. And, and that's how you get through things because when you're vulnerable, you can get hurt. When you're vulnerable, you probably will get hurt. That's what's going to happen. And yet that's what Christ is calling us to be as his people. St. Augustine says that when you pray the Lord's Prayer in the line, give us this day our daily bread, you're really saying that we are God's beggars. That's what we're praying. We're God's beggars. It's hard for us to admit that we are God's beggars. But we are. But it's hard for us to grasp that. It's hard for us to to hang on to that. We keep wanting to to push it away. But it's the call of the church. You know, there was a commercial, it's either the 80s or 90s, I don't remember which. uh, It was called, um, it was, I think it was for dry idea deodorant. Never let them see you sweat. Remember that, some of those commercials? You know, on, on one hand, that's a good thing. I mean, really, who wants to see other people sweat, right? So we thank them for that. But there is underlying this idea of that is that people might look at you and really think they never worry about anything. They have no, they have no issues. They have no problems. And in one of the commercials with the football coach that says something like, everyone deals with stress. Winners Never let other people know it. Nothing could be further from the mindset that God wants for the church. The church is about acknowledging that we're struggling. Acknowledging that we're wrestling. Acknowledging that life is hard. Acknowledging that we fall short. That transparency that's why I think one of, the, one of the best metaphors for the church among the many we might choose is a hospital. You think about a hospital and people are at all different stages of need in a hospital. Some people are facing trauma and they're in the emergency room. Other people are in the operating room or they're in recovery or a step-down unit or ICU or they're just in, a, in a regular room. And some people have actually gotten healed enough that they can help other people in their healing process. And what's interesting to me is I worked in a hospital, in an emergency room for three years while I was in seminary. And I, don't, I never heard during that whole time a doctor or a nurse or anyone say, I'm getting so sick and tired of all the people we ever see are sick people, hurt people. When are some healthy people going to come into the emergency room? Because it, it doesn't work that way, right? I mean, that, it, that's not what we're there for. The whole point of a hospital is that People have a need and they come to you to get help. And the same with the church. We're about being a place where people who have need, including us, come and, and find Christ who can fix our need. See, the point is not just to stay in our state of I'm broken and go nowhere else, but that's the first step. And then once we begin to acknowledge the honesty about who we are, then Christ can do something with that. But until we are willing to say, I'm broken, it's pretty hard for Christ to fix us. We won't let him. 
We don't need him. We look a lot more like the Pharisees in the story than the tax collectors and the sinners who have, were very frank about, we need Jesus. Tim Tennant, in a recent blog, who's president of Asbury Seminary, wrote about his about a day when he was praying through Psalm 142 that we read this morning. The psalm of lament, the song of, of discouragement and, and pain and struggle. And, and he gets to one point and he says, you know, the verse 4 says, I, I can find no place of refuge. And he said in one of, some of the translations, it says, I can find no sanctuary. He said it, it triggered in his mind how the church through the centuries for a long time has called the place where God's people come together a sanctuary. We, we still use that term here. It's a place of, and it really is, and in many, historically in the church, it's a place where you can come and, and you can find refuge. If someone is chasing you, you can come into the building and you're protected. You're safe. And, and he says, you know, as, as, as he thought through that, he realized, you know, that that term is not really in vogue anymore. The new places that we churches we construct, we call the places where we come together worship centers or celebration centers. And, and that's kind of what you get in a lot of the worship is you come and it's all about we're going to be happy. And that's a good thing. It, it's good to, to celebrate and to be happy and to rejoice. So as he says, Psalm 150 is a part of the canon too. And that's a great psalm of celebration. But in many places, we have eliminated the freedom to come and not be happy. We have removed the idea of the church as a place of sanctuary. Where in our despair, this is the place where we come. In our struggles, this is the place we come. In our burdens and in our, in our, in our failings, this is the place we come. Because it is a sanctuary. A place where we can be honest and transparent and real. And find healing through Christ. I've been asking myself this week, what does it look like to be a church that acknowledges our personal and corporate brokenness? And I don't know that I've come to a conclusion totally with that or some kind of formula, but I do know it will have some characteristics of humility and transparency and openness. It will be, as we talked last week, a place where, where our default is... Loving rather than judging. Of compassion and mercy and acceptance. And again, not so that we just say, oh, we accept you and, and we love you and you just stay as you are. But it's, a, it's that first step that then moves us forward. Part of me feels like it should look like an AA meeting. You know, we're a 12-step program. Where we come as individuals and say, hi, I'm Wes, I'm broken. And eventually we get enough of that and we begin to say, hi, we're the Houghton Western Church and we're broken. And somehow people outside of us begin to look at us and say, that's a church that isn't afraid to admit they're not perfect. That's a church that isn't afraid to, to acknowledge there are struggles and there are issues in their lives and they're wrestling with stuff and, and they're still dealing with things. And I kind of think I might like to be a part of that because I'm struggling and wrestling with stuff too. And what we find is, is that when you, when you begin to be vulnerable and open, it creates an atmosphere of trust. And we're all looking for a place where we can be, feel trust where we can share openly and honestly and find love and grace. One of, the, one of the most brilliant parts of the Methodist movement was John Wesley's organization of class meetings and, and, and the bands that were sort of the hardcore class meetings. And, and these, these groups would get together of 12, 10, 12, 15 people. And... and they would come together every week and there were always at least two questions they would ask each other around the circle of the group. 
what spiritual victories have you experienced this week? And they would all tell about those and celebrate them. And then the second question was, what sins have you committed this week that you need to confess to the group? And I've often said, and we try that now, he talked about clearing a room. And they would go around the circle and everyone would admit their sins. And what they found was not judgment, but compassion and grace and love. And, and questions like, how can we help you not do that again this week? How can we be a support to you? How can we love you? How can we help you? So that we find, so that in a short time you come back and say, one of my great spiritual victories is that I'm overcoming that. And as historians talk about the Methodist movement and its impact on England, there are many who would declare that it had a lot to do with the reason why England didn't go through the kind of revolution that France did. And the core of the Methodist movement were those meetings. And you can almost see the movement begin to deteriorate when those meetings became less significant as a part of the movement. I remember reading a few years back, Chuck Swindoll, an article he wrote about meeting a friend of his when, from the Marines. He said, the last guy in the world he'd ever expect to be a Christian. And yet here this guy was telling Chuck how Christ had come into his life and transformed him. And he was a new person. And as they, their conversation progressed, he said, Chuck, the one thing I'm really wrestling with, the one thing that I miss is the camaraderie I had at the neighborhood bar with the guys I used to hang out with. We'd get together, we'd let down our hair, we would just talk, we could be frank and honest with each other about our faults and our failings. He said, I haven't been able to find that kind of atmosphere dynamic in the church. He said, anytime I've tried to share some things, I am met with stares or frowns or people are throwing scriptures in my face. I just, I just want a place to confess. And I'm wrestling to find that. And Chuck Swindoll said about a month later, he came across an article that said that the, the, the greatest counterfeit to the church is the neighborhood bar. And the article went on to say that most people don't go to a neighborhood bar because they're alcoholics. It's because God has put a yearning in us to love and to be loved. And the neighborhood bar is a counterfeit. What it dispenses is not going to meet that need. But there is something about the atmosphere of openness that we need to see. And think about. This tree that was in the prayer room and put up here during the during the time we were praying. If you were in the prayer room and you you put your your leaf into the tree, you know that if you bump it, the leaves are in there a little bit precariously and they fall out pretty easily. And I know many times when I put my leaf in, I'd knock five or six out. And I'm having to put them back in. And as this was set up, the person who set it up wrote me and said, we've got the tree set up in the sanctuary. You might want to check it Sunday morning because the leaves are a little precarious. And then they added a note, hmm, maybe not a bad metaphor for the church. And I think there's something to that. As the leaves fall out, what's our response? What is wrong with you leaves? Why do you keep falling out of there? I'm just taking you and putting you on it. No, we put it back. And something about that in the church, you know, how we respond to our struggles. Someone once said that the most beautiful story E. Stanley Jones ever told was about a little girl who brought a broken doll to church. She was home playing with her doll, and in the midst of playing, it broke. And the first thing she thought to do was to take it to the church. I think that's what God's design and plan for the church is. It's a place where 
we can come and, and we can acknowledge our brokenness. And we can be a place of, of compassion and grace. Because the reality is, there's only room in our lives for the grace of God when we acknowledge we need the grace of God. And that's going to mean being honest and open, transparent. And that's one of the reasons why I think small groups are important. And Sunday school classes and these smaller settings so that we have an opportunity to build some, a dynamic of trust. But even when we come together here, that there is this sense of openness the sense of honesty that we all are broken and only Christ can fix us. We all are struggling and only Christ is the answer. We all fall so far short and only Christ can do anything about it. We all struggle with feelings of Inadequacy and despair and insecurity. And the answer is Christ. And we find that answer here. In the sanctuary. As God's people. I want us to take just a moment of silence to to ponder what God may be saying to us. About being a church that is honest like Christ. Father, we thank you that you take us as we are and you mold us and you shape us and you make us something we could have never dreamed possible. Let us begin and continue as people of honesty and transparency. People that you can do something with. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Please stand as we pray together and remain standing for the closing hymn. We confess to you, Lord, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit even to ourselves what lies in the depths of our souls. We do not, however, want to hide our true selves from you. We believe that you know us as we are, and yet you still love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to love ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt and fear and take us into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask that you would break our bondage and set us free. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.